everybody, and welcome to Blizzard Watch, the podcast where we talk about Blizzard Entertainment and its many games. Uh, I'm Matt, the host, and with me this week is Joe, who is my co-host. Hi, Joe. Hello! Uh, we're basically going to start talking about a uh, reasonable amount of stuff happened this past week. Um, we're going to talk about some changes going on in Shadowlands and maybe some other games, depending on if we get to them. Although, looking at what I've posted for us to be talking about, we're not going to be talking about anything but Shadowlands. Uh, sorry. Um, that's just how it works sometimes. Uh, first up, this one is kind of, it's a new story, but we won't really know the full significance of it until Thursday, I believe. Thursday when Gamescom yes, opens. Thursday. Uh, Blizzard has a presence at Gamescom this year, uh, as they have in previous years. Uh, they're not, like, it's not a big, de- it's not like a big deal, because everyone already knows that what's coming out, but... One of the things that's going to happen is there's a series of short films similar to what they had at the beginning of Battle for Azeroth and Legion. And Warbringers, fact, yeah. Yeah, Warbringers and Harbingers. And before that, they had it for Warlords of Draenor uh, as well. Mm-hmm. So what we've got is the Afterlives shorts. And uh, they're basically, we, we know that there looks to be four or five of them. Uh, one of them seems to be about Uther. One of them is about Draka. And the Maldraxxus Covenant. And we know there's a Night Fae Covenant one and a Revendreth Covenant one, although we don't know the details on those two as yet. We don't, we don't really know much of what it's going to be, but we know they're coming out. They're going to be debuting at Gamescom. Uh, there's been some tantalizing images. I don't feel like it's spoilers to talk about them because it's stuff that's coming out Thursday. And they've already put the tantalizing images out. So they're the ones who put the spoilers out, not us. So, Joe. Anything you've seen so far in those those brief, the brief trailer for the Afterlife shorts that you want to talk about? I mean, honestly, it's I'm just excited for it because I've always wanted more Blizzard animation. Uh, so I don't know the nature of it quite yet, and we won't know until we actually see it. But I'm super here for it. Uh, I also like the I'm trying to think of the art style that they've shown in the, at least the trailer is very much that like visual novel style that they've been using. Yeah, um, like very much reminded me very much of the Legion ones. Yeah. And, and I like that. And I like the idea that we're getting more background on these various like covenants of these areas uh, and sort of a little bit more background on what's going on before we get there. I'm kind of cool with that. Like, I think that's that's going to be real eye-opening. I think that's some potential for some really amazing things. Uh, as I'm just excited. Like, I there's really not much else for me to say. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and again, we don't really know much about it. That's why, I, you know, I said it was... It's, we had to mention it because it's coming out this week. And we know it's coming out this week, so we had to at least mention it. But, yeah, there's, there's like, one scene in particular that I'd like to know what's going on in it, but I don't know what's going on in it, so I can't tell you anything about it. But yeah, that's happening this week. Uh, that'll be at Gamescom. There's some other stuff happening at Gamescom too. So probably next podcast we will be talking at least a little bit about what we found out at Gamescom um, because that is the nature of things. Uh, but right now, one thing that we know that that actually happened, it was data mined this week. This one's interesting. Shadowlands is changing up the way secondary stats scale on gear. And it's a change that is probably the most dramatic change to how that works since the transition between vanilla and and, uh, the Burning Crusade. Uh, And what is happening is back in vanilla, there were only a couple of like secondary stats. Like there was crit and hit expertise. 
Yeah, no expertise wasn't in Manila. Was it? What? it was, no, that's uh, right. Burning that's Crusade. right. Burning Crusade. That's right. It was relatively late Burning Crusade too. Yeah. Um. So, but those stats, the way they worked, uh, the way you can really tell is if you go into your WoW Classic, if you've got WoW Classic, you can go into your WoW Classic and look up the uh, bl the Black Hand's Breath trinket, which grants a flat two percent crit. It doesn't grant a rating. It doesn't grant like a, a number. It grants. 2% crit. You, you put this thing on, your crit goes up by 2%. They changed that going into to Burning Crusade because if they didn't change the way that rating that, that, that uh, secondary stats worked at that time, the Black Hand's Breath would still be the best trinket in the game right now. Yep. You would never take it off. You, there would be no reason to. Um, because what were you going to get? Are you going to get a trinket that gives you 100% crit? Like, you know, what, what are you going to do here? Like the way scaling worked, two percent just remained great forever, and so they added they they added ratings decay and they added ratings, and that was the big change in TBC. Um, now in in Shadowlands, rating basically once you hit a level, once you've capped at a level, like right now we'll use level one twenty as the example because it is the current highest level in the game. Ratings are they scale in a in a linear fashion. Just rating goes to more, you know, if you have 500 crit rating, we'll, we'll use as an example, that gives you, say, 0.5% of, of, a, of a crit. So if you, if you have 1,000 rating, you get 1% crit. This is just me making up numbers because I don't actually have it in front of me. to like, you know, I could bring it up and look at it right now if I wanted to, but I don't feel like doing the math, quite frankly. Um, but because of the way it works, the more rating you have, the more crit you have, and it just scales up. If you had a high enough amount of rating, you'll just have 100% crit. If you have high enough, you can actually get 200% crit, which the game doesn't know what to do with. Um, but you can totally do it with haste. You can do it with mastery. You can I, do it with versatility. Yeah, I routinely proc over 200% mastery right now. And I'm when you do that, it, it basically has the effect you would expect. It makes the mastery hit much harder. It, one of the reasons that you've been hearing about a character named Rextroy, a player who routinely breaks corruption, is because corruption procs give you a massive amount of mm -hmm. secondary stats, and using them properly, he could basically destroy people. Um, and that's something that right now, the way the system works, because it scales in a linear fashion, there is no real way around it. In Shadowlands, there are two things that are going into play that will prevent that from happening. The first is that every secondary stat will have a flat 106%. That's it. That's the cap. You can't get higher than 106% of a stat. You can't get 200% mastery. You can't get 200% anything. As long as you're getting it from rating, you can't go above 106%. Period. That is the cap. On, on gear. On gear. It's specifically from rating, in fact, on gear. So if you were to have a proc that adds just straight up haste, not rating, just says you will gain 25% haste, that will still work. But anything that you can get from gear, it caps at 106%. The other thing is that once you hit 25%, they put in something called rating decay. And essentially, it's a tax on, on rating. Like, say, for right now, if, if it's one point of rating for 0.001% up to, like, tw you hit 25%, then at 25%, 
the cost increases by 10%. When you get up to like, then then from 25 to 34%, it goes up to like, tw- I think to 11% or 12%. And I can't actually, I think it's 20%, then it goes up to 20%, then 30%, then 40%. And the way that works is it creates, instead of things scaling in a linear fashion, instead of just having a line that goes up diagonally, it starts to curve and flatten out. And once you get to a certain point, once you get to 106% on your gear, it just turns into a straight line. You can't go any higher than this. Adding any more rating is pointless. And that's going to have a lot of effects. And the reason I wanted to talk about this is because Joe plays a shaman. Yep. And I can't think of a class that is more <laughs> dependent, dependent on this on stacking than, than shamans. So, Joe. Yeah. Talk to people about what this is going to do to shamans. Okay, so this is this is a complicated thing for me to to feel about because I understand from a design perspective the need for it, and I understand that there are a lot of things that we can do that are completely broken. See, in case in point, where I talk about I routinely hit two hundred percent mastery. If all of my procs line up, I think my cap when we were raiding. Uh, before we decided to break before Shadowlands was like 300 something like that's ridiculous, which would basically mean that I could heal a tank from nothing to full in one shot. Um, it's broken. It is absolutely broken. And people like me abuse it. And that and that's why they're looking at doing stuff like this. But so much of the class is based on this. And I'm not just talking about healing. So much of DPS is based off of the secondary stats for Shaman that I'm really concerned how balancing is going to go with this. Um, with Haste and Crit in particular uh, are really, really key stats that a lot of Shaman's raid usefulness, party usefulness, solo usefulness are derived from. You hit certain points that you need to hit to stay in competition with other classes. And to be perfectly honest, when you don't have those points, you just feel bad. Like, even if you're not a competitive player, you notice, you can tell that you're behind. So I'm a little concerned with how that's going to balance out. And that means that they're going to have to start taking another pass, or at least I hope they are, at the Shaman class and other classes that are dependent upon this as well, uh, to make sure that the base spells, cost, damage, effect, whatever that we're doing is in line with keeping this new curve, like, at the forefront, right? Like, I don't mind that there is one. I just want to make sure that I'm not going to wind up... I think it was... I think it was the tail end of Wrath? No, not the tail end of Wrath. It was... Cataclysm. Tail end of Cataclysm. Shaman hit this point where essentially we couldn't get any more stats and the effectiveness of the class went from like up around everybody else to all three specs being like down at the bottom because there was just no way to get more crit or haste or anything compared to the other classes. It was ridiculous. That's one of the first times I saw people abandon the class. So it is a good idea to have a cap, I think so that people like me don't do really, really stupid things. Uh, it is a good idea, I think, to have a slight curve. I just hope that the idea of the classes, the base classes or procs or abilities are, are really looked at to accommodate that curve. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't think I can really talk anything more about it, but it's, I think Shaman are going to be one of the, mo- the most heavily affected by it. And uh, 
I don't think warriors are too secondary stat dependent right now. Uh, depending on what spec you're talking about, like um, prot prot isn't. I know that right. Like it's mm, more. No, you can't really get away with saying that now. Okay. Well, and uh, like the thing is, uh, well, warriors. The problem with warriors and prot right now is that it's just bad. I mean, the, there are of course really good prot warriors raiding, and that will always. Thing is, is that warriors will always be inflated in a raids in a raid uh, milieu because people assume that warriors should be tanking, and thus they will take them to raids to tank, whether or not they're the best choice. They don't. I mean, going back to even to like uh, going back to Cataclysm again, or to go to Mists of Pandaria, a lot of times warriors were absolutely the worst tank choice, but there was almost always a, a prot warrior in a ra- in a in a raid group. Even though you'd always it's like, oh, okay, we're doing hard on, get the paladin on it. Oh, mm-hmm. we're doing this, get the death knight on it. Oh, hey, does anybody have a you know a, a death knight for this? There was still almost always a warrior around because that's just what people assumed were tanks. Uh, I'd say right now warriors are actually pretty good. I shouldn't have said that they were bad, but I do think that there's going to be an issue with haste. Haste is very important to warriors right now, and haste and crit are very important to say fury. You want both of them. Uh, I'm concerned about what's going to happen. Stacking in general, you're going to hit a point where you, you're, you're, the cost on rating is going to get such that you, when you hit 25% in a, ra- in a rating, you're almost always going to want to... You're going to have to look and say, okay, is it worth it to me to push this up to 40% considering the price I'm going to be paying in rating? Or should I be looking for gear that's got something else on it instead because I, I won't be paying the tax on rating to get up to 25%, you know, and, and does it matter? Like, even if, like, let's use Shaman for an example. You're talking about your mastery. Even if your mastery had like a 40% tax on it, you'd pay that tax oh, rather yeah. than say stack credit. For, 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 well, yeah, for healing. I would, I would, it would be mastery followed by crit and then everything else could be whatever. Like, and you're not like, you know, it, it doesn't matter that I could get a lot more haste because like every point of haste, haste rating, yeah, I just don't care about haste. So it doesn't matter. They're going to need to do some work to make people care about all the secondary stats, yep. which they have yet to successfully do in 16 years ever. I mean, there was a point in time, uh, Warriors, I'll at least give them credit, they made haste better. There was a time where people would ask me about haste, and I would laugh at them. That time has passed. Haste is actually a decent stat for Warriors now. Um, they changed the way haste worked, and they changed the way it worked with abilities and cooldowns. And then now haste is actually good. But there was a long time. To, it was to the point where... I'm going to kind of tell on myself a little here. There's a piece of gear in, in World of Warcraft called Rossi's Rosin Soaked Shoulder Plates. They are named after me. And they have haste on them. Yep. And everybody commented on it. Yep. Because it's like, he plays warriors. This is useless to him. The itemization on these shoulders is useless to a warrior. All that haste is, it's like, it might as well not be there. You might as well just not be wearing these shoulders. And I don't want us to get to a point where we have, like, people... The system is trying to mathematically encourage you to diversify, which is great, but it doesn't matter what the system does. You'll pay that 40% tax rather than, you know, stack versatility or stack mastery because they're just not good for your spec. And I can't, I can't speak to all specs in the game. I just, 
there's like to me versatility is never really that great but i guess from what i understand there's some death knights to which it's amazing they love versatility and they want more of it and that's the thing you're going to have to design is going to have to try and make these things more even it's going to have to try and achieve parity between secondary stats so that if you're trying to diversify your build you're trying to diversify what what stats you have on gear that's that's it's feasible and doesn't you don't end up saying well it doesn't matter that i'm paying 40 percent more for crit rating here i need more crit and the other thing to consider is there's nothing like back in cataclysm when you had gear issues and you wanted to stack a stat as high as possible we had reforging and you could yeah. do it you could stack as much haste or crit or what you wanted as possible they got rid of reforging because they wanted to get away from that but now it almost feels like they should bring it back to allow you to diversify gear that you're, you don't want to pay that high tax on. You don't want to pay the 40% ratings tax, but you don't have a choice because everything keeps dropping with mastery on it. It's like, what do I do? Do I not equip the new mastery piece I got that will push my mastery up still higher? Do I not use a piece that's maybe a 40 eye level increase? It's like the problem we have now where, where shaman don't equip certain pieces that are like massive eye level upgrades because their their stat spread is no good they don't have the mastery that they want now it would be the other way around it's like this piece i want to, i got i'd want to equip it but it's got mastery on it so i'll be paying a huge ratings tax i'd rather have a piece with some crit on it but i can't get any crit pieces you see where i'm going with this yeah. These are issues that need to be considered when this this goes live. Like I said, it, it, and I think this sums it all up. I really feel bad for the folks that are going to have to be spending the time balancing classes and gear because their lives with this is probably going to be nonstop. So, yeah, that's all I got to say on that one. Okay, I feel like we've talked about it a fair amount here, so... Uh, next up, I'm going to talk really briefly about the fact that Castle Nathria got some raid testing this weekend. Um, we obviously... I didn't get to go. Uh, I did. I had a lot of stuff going on this weekend, so I did not actually get to look at any of them. But the encounters that were being balanced, were being tested, were the Stone Legion Generals uh, on Mythic. The uh, Shriekwing, also on Mythic. Uh, Artificer Zymox on Mythic. The Council of Blood... That was also on Mythic. And the Leeching Vault, LFR difficulty. Um, so this is about, I think, about close to half the raid. Yeah. It's a big chunk of the raid got tested. Um, they're they're going to do more in the future as well. But I just thought that that's worth pointing out that we are in the first tier of raiding getting tested on the beta. Between that and the fact that we now have a PTR for uh, the Shadowlands pre-patch, I'm feeling pretty confident about previous predictions that we're going to see some stuff in October. Yeah. And um, I, th I, th I think there's going to be uh, some more balancing done. Cause when we did it, we did a couple of these encounters this weekend. Uh, things felt very, they still have a way to go to fine tune it. Uh, but I, I yeah, also yeah. feel, I also feel fairly confident about the, our, 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 our guesses as far as when we're going to see this drop. Yeah, between the fact that they're doing this and the fact that they're uh, they're running the PTR for the pre-patch, it feels to me very much like we're going to see something in October. And once we see that thing in October, uh, sorry if you're watching the stream and that guy just ran right in my face. Sorry. Uh, 
if it drops in October, I feel like we're going to look at it. We're looking at Shadowlands in November. I feel like that. Feel, I yeah. feel pretty secure about that now. Yep. Uh, but yeah. Uh, anything else before we move on? Nope. That's all I got. Aside from Shriek okay. Ring, Shriek Wing, I hate him. He is. He is. Oof. Hate that bad. Okay. <laughs> Alrighty then. Uh, next up, something that's worth talking about. Uh, this one is. I don't. I don't know how I feel about this. I'll straight up admit it. But they're they're putting a guide mentor system in Shadowlands. Mm-hmm. And what that is is basically it's kind of like the old days of the forum MVPs. If you remember those, it's like that, but actually in game. Like you, ha- there are people who will be in game. They will they will sign up for this program. They will they will become guide mentors, and they will be around to help people who are new to the game to explain things like oh. Here's how to do those quests. Here's what's you know. Here's what they're asking you to do. Basically, just helping out new players. Um, they put in a series of achievements and stuff to allow people you know to qualify for it. Um, one of the things that they did, uh, I believe we we looked at. Yeah, here we go. Basically, in order to get guide mentor, you have to be to start. This is when Shadowlands starts. You have to be level 50, and you have to have completed 3,000 quests. Those are the first two achievements you have to have gotten. Uh, then there's m- about six more achievements, I believe, uh, five or six, that you have to get at least two of. And those achievements are a Terrific Trio, which is reach maximum level with three different classes. Um, Rival, which is the Battle for Azeroth Season 4 PvP achievement. And you need to earn the rank of Rival during Battle for Azeroth uh, Season 4. There's Battle for Azeroth Keystone Conqueror Season 4, which means you have to have completed... All the Battle for Azeroth Season 4 dungeons at Mythic or 10 or, or above within the time limit. There's the Waking Dream, which is defeat the Carapace of Nazoth or in Nazoth the Conqueror uh, in Nihilatha. That, that's one of the achievements. And the final achievement is we have the technology, which is purchase all research items in the Titan Research Archive. So you have to get at least two of those. Um, of those five that I'm looking at. That's interesting to me, and, and this entire thing is interesting to me, because this is clearly what it's going to be before Shadowland launches. This is going to be the pre-patch. Mm-hmm. This is how you get in the program during the pre-patch. I can't believe it's going to stay this way. Yeah. If this program continues, I don't believe that they will continue to use these achievements. No, it'll be because, like Pathfinder. They'll adjust it every, yeah. every expansion. Yeah, that makes sense. Um. As for myself, I, mean, I was looking at this, and I'm thinking to myself, I, I technically have got it because I've done two of those those five. Uh, I did the Waking Dream, and I did uh, We Have the Technology. I'm pretty sure I also have the Terrific Trio because I've got uh, a Warrior, a Paladin, and a Death Knight all at max level. So I, 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 I qualify for Terrific Trio. Of course, I'm also level 50. I will also have level 50 and 3,000 quests once it rolls over, because I have enough max level characters. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's interesting, because they're gonna people are going to be qualifying through different methods. Like, if you're a PvP player, um, you can qualify by just leveling three characters t- to max level and doing PvP and getting rival, which is not super easy, but it's not absolutely impossible either. Um, I do think that there should be another another way to do it besides rival for PvPers who do mostly other things, who don't, who don't do... Uh, you know, arenas, but then again, you're, I guess rated, rated battlegrounds also qualify. So it's still relatively okay. You're hitting on the idea of, of basically why, uh, what I think about this right now. There's some good stuff in here, 
but it needs to be expanded, I think, a little bit to account for some players that don't necessarily participate or participate in these very specific ways. Um, because, like you said, the rival thing, there's PvPers out there that maybe don't do the thing that gets them to rival. So if that doesn't mean they're not experienced, that doesn't mean that they can't provide value or information. So... I think there needs to be some consideration for that, as well as uh, we have the technology. Um, I didn't complete the Titanic Research Archive because I just didn't care. So I just straight up didn't do it. Um, I Well, I will have this because I have the Waking Dream and the Terrific Trio and stuff like that. What about players that don't play alts but have, you know, mastered... You know, a single class. We joke that Matt is the, you know, epitome or essence of what is it is to be a distilled down warrior in Warcraft, and I am the epitome of the distilled down shaman. But like, if we didn't play any other classes and we didn't really have alts, like, okay, what what about that? And there are people that are out there that are experts in a very specific thing and don't have alts. Um, or there's people that don't do keystones. They don't do mythics. Uh, there's people that never want to t set foot in a, in a raid. We've, we've done articles on them on the site where, like, you know, there, there's a pacifist out there. There's several pacifists out there uh, that don't do a lot of the stuff but still have a wealth of knowledge in the game. Is there going to be something to accommodate for that as well? Um, I, I don't... I always feel like systems like this have a weird p potential chance to get... A, I don't want to say elitist. Like, these are pretty low right now. But there's always that chance that when they change them or when they, f they they move them a certain way that they get too high. And I don't want that to happen. And I want there to be more options for people to get into this. Because I think in 16 years of this game, plus everything else, there's a ton of wealth of knowledge out there in the player base and the community that maybe might not fit specifically into all these. Although I'm confident that they're choosing these because they feel that there's enough people that will that do. So yeah. I, I agree that that's probably a big part of it. We'll see how it works when it goes live, and we'll see how they update it when we're like really into Shadowlands. I expect that it's going to go up to level sixty. Uh, I think they'll probably keep the three thousand quests. Yeah, um, that's oh, a pretty yeah. decent benchmark. Um, but, I mean, some of us do a lot of quests, some of us don't. So, uh, but yeah, I, I am interested in seeing how that works. But the last thing to mention is just a technical thing, um, but it's cool. Uh, and quite frankly, I thought it was pretty neat when I saw it. They're they're in, they're in, in blarg. I can't say words today, and it's kind of hard to host a podcast when you can't talk. <laughs> it's a whole lot of blah, 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 going out of my mouth. It's like I don't like this. Can words just happen, please? Um, they're introducing ray tracing into Shadowlands. Um, it's actually on the beta right now. And if you don't know what ray tracing is, the way it works for World of Warcraft is that lighting in World of Warcraft is basically from one source. And you don't necessarily see that source when you're in-game. For instance, you could be in a dungeon and you're casting a shadow on the floor even though there's there's torches all over the walls and that's it. But the shadow is cast as if the sun were above you. Mm. Because that's just how lighting works in WoW. They have a source for light that's up, you know, up in the hypothetical sky and that comes down and pr produces shadows. Going into ray, the way ray tracing is going to work in, in World of Warcraft specifically is they're going to allow for other light sources to provide lighting. So, for instance, say you're in, it's nighttime and you're in a camp and you've got a, light, a, a fire lit and you're standing in front of a, 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 you know, a wall or something. The, the campfire will now provide light and thus you, it will cast a shadow. 
when you are standing in front of it. There will be a shadow cast by that fire onto the wall. That does not currently happen in World of Warcraft. You can test this real easily. Just go anywhere, light a campfire, and stand in front of something, and you will you will see there is no shadow cast by that fire. All shadows in the game right now come from one fixed source, usually up in the sky. Even if you if you look up there, you don't see it. That's where the lighting on the ground is coming from. Uh, but there, with with ray tracing and with the dynamic lighting that's going to provide, every light source in the game is now going to provide light. And that means you can have three or four shadows in an area. If you have like a, tor- a campfire, a bunch of torches, and the moon, all of them will be providing light. And that means you'll have shadows. You know, you could have a, a much darker shadow from the moon, a thinner, less distinct shadow from the, the campfire, and so on. And I think it's interesting. Um, it's definitely, a, it goes a, a good way towards making stuff look more, I don't want to say lived in, but I can't think of a better word for it. I'm shutting up here so Joe can talk. <laughs> uh, as uh, DeBoots points out in the chat, the Elemental Shaman class all mount fire elemental casts light on things around it, uh, but it also does not cast a shadow. Uh, they weren't sure, but it doesn't. Like, if you move up to a player, it doesn't force them to cast a shadow. It's an interesting technical achievement for WoW to actually take up, and I'm a little surprised about that with how, how much trouble shadows have caused in the past. But I'm also excited to see them embracing newer technology. Uh, I mean, yeah, to the point where... It, mm-hmm. I'm disagreeing with you. Go ahead. No, I was yeah. disagreeing with you. Uh, and it's going to be something a, a little bit more immersive. Now, the cool thing here for me is that a lot of the in-game cinematics are about to become so much more dramatic. And we we talked about this in the past. We've had we've had articles go up on the site about this, and I suggest you, you go and take a look at them, where we've broken down, like here's what they've done here's what they've used in action or in scene, in game cutscenes essentially using the game engine and game characters and we see that all throughout battle for azeroth well now if you have a video card that is capable of doing ray tracing which is a prerequisite um but it's anything from i think the gtx 10 series up basically can do it if you have that that gives the cinematics team the potential to do some really super ridiculously immersive, moody cinematics that are just like straight out of movies or or things like that. And personally, I'm excited to see what the team puts out with this in play. That's the most exciting part for me. Yeah, I definitely think it's it's something that's it's fun to see them experiment with it. I think it's one of the things that's really cool, if you look at some of the images they have, uh, obviously doing a podcast, we can't show you very many pictures. Uh, but if you look at some of the interesting the videos they have for it, it diffuses out the shadow as well. Yeah. So one, one of the problems we have right now is like shadows are cast. They're pretty discreet. They look like, you know, here's a tree. Here's the shadow of the tree cast. It looks just like the tree. But if you ever look at actual shadows in real life, oftentimes that doesn't happen because there's multiple light sources and that kind of diffuses out the shadow. You still get a shadow, but it's it's not as it's not just an outline of things. And that's something that ray tracing lets them do. It's a, it's really interesting because World of Warcraft's visual look is being updated, but it's still very much based on that kind of cartoony uh, you know, exaggerated blizzard style. So seeing it with dynamic shadow is kind of fascinating. One of the things that's really cool is your character will now cast shadows on themselves. Yeah. 
Like if the light source is over here to the side of your face, your chin will cast a shadow on your neck. Think of it which for is casting. Something, yeah, because like, your hands are going to be glowing. Your hands are going to be providing light. They will cast shadows on you while you're doing it. That's, there's a lot of interesting stuff here to this. Oh, it's, it's interesting. oh, my screenshot game's about to go up, folks. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, that's pretty much it for top stories for now. I mean, there are some others we could have talked about, but you know, we, we need to actually get on to emails and so forth. Uh, if you have an email or a question for the show, we have multiple ways for you to get a question to us. There's two channels on our, our Discord. There's the Patreon Q and Podcast Questions channel where we, we go first because that's a whole deal about being a patron to the site. Uh, so we go there first. There's also the, the Q channels quest, you know Q questions channel that we do look at afterwards. And of course, if you'd rather send us an email, we still love getting emails. Uh, we go to uh, you know podcast at blizzardwatch.com and you can ask us. You can basically say, you know, podcast or Blizzard Watch, so we know it's for this show. Or you can do that thing where you like over either show, whatever, and then Joe and I have to get into a pit and do that fight, like in that episode of Star Trek. And eventually, somebody from the site, like uh, Liz, has to come in and give me it's an injection. Liz. It's absolutely Liz every single time. And so, so that I look like I died. And then Joe has to feel really bad because he's killed his friend. And then afterwards, he finds out, no, Liz just gave me a shot. And, and we, it, it's getting to the point where, quite frankly, we're not sure why Joe keeps falling for it. Like, I've had that shot eight times now. You'd think he'd be like, you just See, gave him a shot. He's going to fall down. It's really, I just want Matt to feel like he's winning. That's all it yeah. is. So anyway, uh, yeah. See, that's how you can get us a question. Uh, minus the, the, you know, the Star <laughs> Trek combat. Um, so quite frankly, I don't know why I would never not use the on wound. That's like, there's no way I'm going to use it. That thing is brilliant. I don't know what you guys are doing. But anyway, um, here comes some stuff, some questions. Uh Gonna have Joe read them because usually we do. So if you don't mind, I, and Joe. I like and I like reading them. Hello, friends, Torn Paladins. What are they? Are they using the Holy Light? Are they using solar power? Druids use? Are they confused about who they are? Or am I? Thanks in advance for helping me prepare for my podcast, Uthos from the Aspects of Lore podcast. Uh, relatively newcomers out there, so uh, yeah, they uh, they wield the light. They just think it comes from uh, what Anchi, right? Yeah, it's it's basically it's metaphorical. They're using the the light of the sun as the metaphor from which they understand the light. Similar and, to how uh, night elves worship the the moon and a loon yeah, and get loon. their power, their priestly power from a loon. And there is one paladin that draws her power from a loon directly. There is one, exactly one ha- night elf paladin uh, who you know prays to a loon and does paladin stuff with it. Uh, that that's an NPC. It's not a player character, but there is one. So yeah. It's basically just the holy light is a way of understanding the power you're talking about. Like you'll notice that the both the the, the Draenei, the dwarves, and the humans all effectively talk about the holy light, but they have very different understandings of what it is and how it works. Uh, dwarves tend to tap into it through their ancestor worship. Yep, and we uh, saw that we we've seen that in the past with Magni and. Uh, I, I believe it was particularly referenced in, I think it was The Shattering? I think yeah, Christy I Golden wrote a, a wonderful passage about that, actually. So, and whereas humans, it tends to, it, in a way, humans, it's also from ancestor worship. It's from Tyr, to the point where, like, the, the, the Titan uh, forged Tyr, the one whose tomb we all found, had such an impact on, on human development 
because he was that a lot of humans were the ones led down there by him that they made him into kind of a hero figure and they had a cult about him and they named places after him and it everything about Tyr became the standard for sacrifice and heroism and it was through him that they channeled the light i mean Tyr's hand that's that's a whole part of it Tyr's fall glades the reason it's called Tyr's falls glade is literally Tyr's fall this is where Tyr died for mm-hmm. us to save us from these things so yeah there's different ways different different groups approach it it's just it's just a metaphor. Uh, Anshi, the sun, the sun is a produ- producer of light. You'd have to, if you think about the way the Toran society works, they were nomadic for so long. Uh, they, the easiest source of light for them is the sun. Yeah. And you know? the, the best way I put it is like, one of my favorite book series um, of all time is the Dresden Files. And the way that they explain how magic works there is sort of how I view magic working in Azeroth. I think it, it fits well. And it's, it's will given shape through reference that the mind can understand. Uh, so like that's what's happening with the light. You wield the light, but you're wielding it in a way that you and your culture understands. So for Torn, that's Anshi, that's the sun, because like Matt pointed out, they were nomads. Uh, it was how they did that. It was, it was how they understood where light came from. Uh, you know, following it when seasonal shifts, following it with the herds, things like that. It's it's nature to the, it's second nature to them. Uh, so they rationalize the light that they wield from that. And the best part is, it's all true, because illumination, the light, regardless of how you justify it, it's still the light. And so they can frame it in any way that their their brain can handle, and it works. So. Yeah, they're not really confused about who they are. They know who they are. They and there's a if you haven't done any of the Sunwalker quests or any of the storylines with the Sunwalkers, do yourself a favor and do them and interact with them. Some of the coolest and I think one of the saddest storylines actually comes out of there. So, I think it's worthwhile. All right, anything else you want to add to that one? Well, I think we covered it. Fantastic. On to our good friend, Lord Soth. I was curious about game recommendations you had regarding two types of things. Part one. There are games out there that are beefed up versions of WoW features. For example, Stardew Valley, which I have been playing a lot of lately, is like Pandaria Farm on steroids. Many of the mobile RPGs, like several of the Final Fantasy ones, are basically the beefed up version version of the mission table. What are some games that you enjoy playing that are basically full games with a similar premise to a small aspect of WoW? Um... I'll do part two separate, but I'm going to go ahead and stop you there. And it's the exact opposite. These games exist outside of WoW and WoW sort of borrows from them internally. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, that's absolutely the case. I mean, even even when you can make the case that, that WoW existed before them and even had a feature like that before them, it tends to be the case. Like, for instance, let's go with pet battles here. Pokemon! Yeah, when people say pet battles are like Pokemon or Pokemon Go, they're not saying that Pokemon Go or Pokemon saw pet battles and were like, woo, let's do that. And Corey Stockton would be the first person to tell you that, that you know, he loves Pokemon and always has. Yeah, oh yeah. And, and it, it's very much a case of, wow, borrowing some inspiration. And that's the case for the mission table. And that's the case for the farm in Pandaria. And that's the case for a lot of stuff. Um, yeah, like the new mission table in Shadowlands is a great example. It is essentially auto chess. 
Uh, and auto chess has been around since Dota. It's been around since D- Dota 2 has a version of it. League of Legends has a version of it. Um, Raid Shadow Legends game is basically auto chess. Yeah. The, so, like, these are all... that That's a genre that you can look into that, that is similar. That you can compare it to WoW for a frame of reference, if anything else like that. Um, trying to think what else... Back in 2014, keep in mind because it's when this game came out. Um, I want to say 2014. It might have been 2016, but I'm pretty sure it was 2014. Uh, Dragon Age Inquisition had a mission table element that was very similar to the mission table that we got in in Warlords. I don't know which game came out first. Quite frankly, I I have to go look that up, and I I don't feel like it at the moment. But it's not hardly the first game to have anything like that. So... These are these are things that game game developers tend to play other games, it, it, and they see each other's games. And it's World of Warcraft has been borrowed from, and other. I mean, you want to go talk about games borrowing from World of Warcraft? Go look at the UI for every MMO out there right now, and a oh, lot yeah. of non MMOs, a lot oh, of yeah. single player RPGs, and WoW's UI was borrowed from EverQuest. It was EverQuest and Diablo. It's just cleaned up. Yeah, yeah it's, they, they took elements of Diablo and elements of EverQuest and cleaned them up and made it, you know, pretty, comparatively pretty. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of this going back and forth. One one thing I will say is if you really are interested in a lot of the inspiration from it, follow some of the developers of your favorite games online on Twitter and, and see what they play. Like, a lot of them do stream and play other games. Like, Torghast is a really great example of a game feature in WoW that borrows heavily from my favorite genre of game, which is roguelikes. I love roguelikes. 90% of my Steam library is roguelikes. Um, between Binding of Isaac, Rogue Legacy, uh, Dead Cells... Uh, just for uh, some of the current ones, but like I know several of the devs that you know you can you can follow on Twitter who play those types of games too, and if you're interested to see those inspirations, follow them. Take a you know just just pay attention. Some of them even stream. You can go see in real time, you know, games that they're playing and draw. You're like, oh, that's where that came from, and maybe find new games to play. It's it's actually kind of exciting, and and one of my favorite stories that I used to tell is way 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 back in the day, and some folks will remember him. Uh, Scapes, he's a pretty prominent. He's been around for a while. He's a community manager. He's been everywhere from uh, Hellgate London through all Tyrion games and everything else. We used to sit and play other games together because that was just unwind time. It wasn't. It was the games he wasn't working on or involved with that we would just go do other things. And enjoy other things. So it's kind of cool to see what they're into. But and D and D also plays a huge. We talk about this a lot. D and D and Magic the Gathering had a huge impact on how Warcraft basically got started in the first place. Like, and you could see other elements of other games in there. There's elements of Warhammer 40k in a bunch of these uh, things that they borrow from some of the storylines, some of the armor stuff, uh, some of the play elements. It's varied, and they take they take those inspiration. All over the place. Um, I feel like we've kind of. I was gonna say, I think we might have already accidentally answered part two. Well, part one and part two are like it's. If you correct the misnomer about part one, you sort of automatically start answering part two. 
That's fair. Um, so we've kind of answered part two. No. We should just read. We just read it so people know. I'll read uh, it because there is another part that I want to talk about in there too. I think that is is kind of important. I don't want to spend too long on it, obviously. But uh, conver- part two is conversely, there are a few games out there that WoW has adapted for its world. Pokemon Pet Battles being the most obvious. What games out there would you want brought in as a minor feature within context of WoW? Personally, I feel this could lean slightly over into player housing feature. I mean, I'm I'm never gonna I. I'd love for there to be player housing, but I do not think it's going to happen. So I'm not going to get too excited. Yeah. Uh, but if if I could take the settlement crafting from Fallout 4 was my favorite part of Fallout 4 to the point where I stopped actually playing Fallout 4 and just built ever more elaborate collection hubs where I would keep my power armor stockpile. And... When I say my power armor stockpile, I mean Tony Stark would be like, dude, I think you have a problem. I think you're, you're just collecting power armor now. And I would be, yes, yes, I am. Uh, it got to the point where I had every single piece of power armor you could get in that game. And all I did was build settlements where I could keep them. And by settlements, I mean basically just elaborate concrete nightmares with guns everywhere. Where people would walk up I remember one time I was standing there talking to my wife, and someone walked, like, like I guess some mutants spawned and were attacking my settlement. They didn't even get to the tree line before the 30-something laser cannons I had on the roof just annihilated them. And she was like, what just happened? I'm like, oh, yeah, we were being attacked by something. I don't know. what. I never even found where they their bodies were to loot them. And so... I loved that system, and I would love to see something like it in World of Warcraft. And I think we are getting something very slightly like it in, in Shadowlands, because you will be upgrading your your Covenant starting zone. Whatever zone your Covenant is considered to hold, like for instance for the Kyrians as Bastion, you will be upgrading it throughout yeah. as you as you go through your, your reputation as you grind with it. them. Yeah. You'll be you'll be doing exactly that. It won't be as ridiculous as fallout fours where you can just build like you just you become like i i remember saying at one point that my character in fallout 4 wasn't really an adventurer they were literally just a guy who goes and loots all the garbage they can find drags it back to a central location dumps it in a chest and then builds like you know towns out of it like that that's what i was doing that that won't that won't really work in wow but there will be a construction feature like that i i love that kind of stuff i'm huge on that kind of stuff there's one game system that i always kind of wanted to see in wow and it might feel a little bit out of left earth or left field here but it's the nemesis system from middle earth uh, shadows of mordor because in pvp and this is my my lizard brain here back in the day when i was on zuljin and in vanilla and in bc and, and during that time frame we were I was really heavy into PvP and it got to a point where the Alliance and the Horde knew each other and we knew each other through combat and we knew each other by name and recognition and, and everything and we'd communicate on forums and, and things like that. And I I haven't been ha- like heavy in the PvP community for a while, but I th- I hear that there's still some elements of that where like you come across like the same arena teams or or whatever the case is. I would have loved to see not maybe not something that um, you know means anything in game, but becoming somebody's nemesis after they've you've killed them so many times, and then getting like 
a, a little bit of a uh, what call it the uh, why, why can't I think of the word now get like a, a an epitaph a, a banner or a title or something when you overcome that like I'd love to see something like that being implemented into you know while PvP is an extra incentive besides just gear uh, and something to reward like those groups that continually meet with each other. Um, I don't think it'll ever happen, but I think it'd be cool if there was something like that. I have no clue how it would work. Uh, I'm not a programmer. I don't want to have that job of going through the code and trying to make it work. But if it did magically start to work, I'd be okay with it. Also, if you, guys, I'm going to suggest this right now. Um, I, I don't remember which Assassin's Creed game it was. I think it was Brotherhood. Had the weirdest multiplayer I've ever seen in a, in a game. And... Wow, PvP could learn from it. Yeah, it was just nuts. It was so weird. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'm gonna just throw that out there. But I think we we pretty much answered this yeah. question. All right, our next question comes from Ouya. Question for the podcast. I have a question for the show. Do you think Blizzard need to change how the server transfer services is done? Have it similar to Final Fantasy XIV, where you pay $20 for a few tunes, but you have a cooldown to when you can do it again. I have some max tunes on dead servers, which I wanted to transfer to Zul'jin. They have all they have all the old profession, which I want to keep. It's too expensive at the moment with transfer services. That's actually a really good question. Um... I'll let Matt talk before I go into it because I, I have a bunch to say about it. I'll be upfront with you, man. I don't see any reason for Blizzard to do it. Not that there's a reason why we want it and it would be good for us, but Blizzard has this thing about trying to keep servers community while that simultaneously so many changes to the game have made server communities as kind of a thing of the past. And they don't necessarily want you transferring all your characters off of that server. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, not that they shouldn't want you to do it, but they don't. So I I feel weird about talking about this because all I'm going to say is, you know, they're not going to do this for you. And that feels bad. And I don't like to be that guy. Um, I would say for a lot of people, imagine if they, if they jacked it up to 50 bucks, but then you had like, you know, five months to move everybody you wanted off of the server, a lot of people would pay it. Yeah. And you know, I, I myself would have no problem with that and they could totally do it. Like, you know, 25 bucks for a single character or if like it's so much, whatever amount more they felt like doing and you could move your, you know, people have had to do some really weird stuff to get stuff off of servers. I've known people who've actually started their own guilds just to get their, all their, their mats off of the I, server. I've done it twice. I've had, I've done so, it twice now. So I, <sighs> my wish would be for a revamp to how it works. That's what I would want to have. I don't believe they're going to do it. And I always feel like I have to qualify that sort of thing because I don't want to get you excited thinking, ooh, yeah, and then they won't do it, and then you feel bad like I misled you. I've had that happen, and I'm always thinking about it. But if I were, you know, again, if I were somehow the king of WoW, like tomorrow they they give me the entire thing and go, yeah, you're in charge now. After I got done urinating all over myself and, and hyperventilating, <laughs> one of the changes I would make would be to server transfers. I would, I would, make, I would make services in general, a lot of services, I would make them like a flat fee, and have them be for like you know a group of your characters, especially with stuff like server transfers. If you've built up a collection of characters on a server, 
that's like a lot of people. They they do that. They build up a collection of like their alts. You don't want like, to leave one, them behind. One, one, not just because you don't want to leave them behind, but they like. I have this crafter who does nothing but crafting, and then I have these two gathering alts who handle all my gathering, and then I have another crafter who handles the professions that the first crafter doesn't handle. And I, once you take one character out of that group, you know now he doesn't have anybody to feed him materials, and the, the two materials people you don't play them anymore because they're not on the same server, and it's just yeah, I, I, I it doesn't feel great. I'll say that much. I think that they should make a change, but I'm I don't expect that they will. So here's my two cents on this, and and I'm sorry if this is going to be uh, long winded. I'll try to keep it as short as possible. I think we're looking at it the wrong angle, and I think Blizzard is actually already starting to work on this a little bit. One of the things that they announced recently that we didn't talk about in stories was that they're moving more servers together or linking them together. And I honestly think that's the way you get around server transfers being such a big thing right now. Instead of making it so that players can just move all of their characters and then have a cooldown, instead, do something like you say, like Final Fantasy XIV does, where you have a server group. And when you're in that server group, you can communicate, work, be in a guild, make friends, interact with everybody across that server group without an issue. And the technology is getting to the point now where they can do this. And I, I know it's a bear, and I know that they, I know the server and virtualization team there, y'all do great work. And I know that me saying this, I, I can already feel you giving me that stare. Please, please don't hurt me. Uh, but it's something that I think would would solve this problem. Well, you do know, I mean, one of the things we know that they they are connecting more realms as we speak. Yeah, they are, and and that's and, the point. Like if they and if they do that so that there's larger groups of realms connected. Then they can look at this and say, server transfer now becomes a thing where it's data center transfer or data cluster transfer instead. And that becomes something that makes more sense because you have less incentive to leave your cluster. And I think that they're already working, looking at the other services as well. Because look at, look at now, we talked about this several weeks ago. You no longer have to pay real world money to change your character's gender. You can do it with gold at the barber shop. It is an out-of-game feature that we have paid for for years, years since it was introduced. And now we can just do it with gold. That's a huge win for us. I think that what we need to encourage them to do is to start taking a look at all of the services, all of the paid services, and see if they make sense. And see if there are things that can be moved into a different fashion of the game, whether it's something we either can, you know, pay with gold or do another, uh, have another type of interaction besides just real world money, because it makes more sense. And then focus on monetizing other things like mounts and pets and cosmetics and things like that, if they really want to keep that revenue stream going. Because at the end of the day, if they make their game playable, and, and I've said this for every game that's out there that wants to monetize themselves in any way besides a subscription is you want people to pay incidental money on your game and increase revenues to keep your stuff going, make the game fun and give them reasons to keep playing, but do it in a way that doesn't make them feel locked in. Like final fantasy 14, like you go to their mog shop, you go to their, their, you know, their online shop, a uh, Moogle station, I think is what it is. I haven't done it in a while folks. So I'm sorry. Um, but, it's pages of stuff, cosmetics and mounts and and other things that you can purchase for your characters. And you just play the game. 
And if they make it in a way that server transfers aren't necessarily, they can keep them there. They can keep them there for like the data transfer stuff, but then it doesn't become, you know, do I have to spend a hundred dollars to move my five favorite characters from one server to another just to make sure I can keep playing this game or to find a new guild home or to find or finally play with friends that I've made on Twitter or in the community or whatever. It just lets players play the game and then everything else becomes cherry on top. And I think that's what we need to encourage them to do. And it looks like they're already starting to move that direction. So that's my two cents on it. Sorry. Um, anything else to add before I move on to the next one? No, I think the French covered that. <laughs> All right. Our next one comes from Vertigree. Question for podcast. This is Vertigree Undead Mage. Just read your Nathria weapon update and realized I have a mechanical numbers question. How does having a main and offhand versus a two-hand weapon compare? Do they equally count towards average eye level? It's definitely more hassle to get both items. So is, should there be a mechanical benefit? There's, I, I don't remember anymore. There is a specific way it's calculated for main hand versus offhand. Um, Joe actually uses main hand versus offhand more than I do. Uh, although I do use a one-hander and a shield from time to time when I'm tanking. But in general, I mean, for that matter, when you're Fury and you're using two you're using two two-handed weapons as opposed to the one one-handed weapon, it can make eye-level calculation a little annoying. It, it isn't a big part of eye-level calculation, however. They, they do it in such a way that your weapon contribution doesn't... If, you, if you're using, like, a, 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 a main hand that's, like, say, 445 and an offhand that's, like, 420, it doesn't gut your eye-level. Um, yeah, they do that they, on purpose. Yeah, they, they, they split the difference to make it less... Because players were worried about that when eye level was starting to become such a big thing and being so calculable, um, your one hander and your 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 one hander and offhand and your two hander roughly wind up being equivalent for eye level. I don't. There is a slight variance uh, as far as how it is. I think like if you're using one or the other, um, the main hand is like a certain percentage of it and the offhand is like the last percentage of it to equal to what a two-hander will equal to. Um, but there is mathematics involved to balance that out. That's why, like, particularly if you're replacing an offhand, you might not see your item level jump even if you expect it to. Uh, this is a conversation I've had with guildies over the years uh, since this has been a thing. So it's just something to be aware of. Um, so functionally, there is no mechanical benefit for eye level to, to do one versus the other. Um, so play whatever your style is and play whatever's best for you uh, with your stats and gearing. That's in I terms, think, the more important in, thing. It absolutely is a hassle to get both items. And I say this again as a Fury Warrior, who not only do I need to get both items, a lot of times I need to get both two-hand items. And that can be a real pain in the butt. Uh, these just don't drop. Not everybody has them. You know, yada yada. Uh, oftentimes, like also, the itemization is like, you know, great. This one's a haste versatility item. Woohoo! Uh, meanwhile, you know, there's probably some death knight out there somewhere who's thrilled, but you know, the, not the point. They there is a it is a bit harder to get two items than one. Whether it's a weapon and a shield, whether it's two one-handed weapons, whether it's two two-handed weapons, it is a bit annoying. Um, as opposed to a Rat Paladin or an Arms Warrior or a Blood Decay or an Unholy Decay that just get the one weapon and they're good to go. But because they because of that, they tend to make one-handers and off-handers drop a little bit more to kind of balance it out. It's not 
super hassle. It's like you know, it's it, it can be annoying. It, though in terms of how much stuff drops, it's it's balanced out to make it not nightmarish. With the token items, it's actually even easier because you just get a token, and the token doesn't care. You just go buy the item you want from your covenant. So. I mean, we still haven't got to see too much of it in action, but I think it's actually going to be a little bit nicer for people who need a weapon and shield or a weapon and an offhand item or just two weapons. Yeah. I think it'll actually be a little nicer. And anything will be better for that scenario after Battle for Azeroth, as Zell is pointing out in chat. Currently, the mechanical benefit is based around things like stats, sockets, uh, and corruptions because you can have a main hand and an offhand with two different corruptions. Yeah, that, absolutely. Which after Battle for Azeroth, that goes away. So, and I can't wait personally, but yeah, that's a whole other thing. Uh, I think we have. Well, to- yeah, let's try. To, let's try to get this last one. Last one out, uh, and this one comes from Corix. Question for either podcast. Well, I guess it's going to be on this one. Uh, I will try and ask a more straightforward question this week. You may have answered this type of question in the past. However, with the new Shadowlands lore story, if you could choose a new class to add to WoW, what would it be and why? I don't know. Do you have a thought on that, Matt? Or do you just not want to add any classes? I think that that's usually our stance, but... I have said in the past that I don't want to add any other classes, but one of the ideas I've had for a long time would actually be to split a class. Um, I felt for a long time like warriors are like two classes kind of inexpertly joined together. Mm-hmm. And that class is, there's essentially, there's the tanking class and there's the DPS class. And those two classes don't really work well together. Like I've often felt like you want to have kind of like a juggernaut class that's all about two-handed, like it's all about tanking and offensive tanking like you know my armor is super heavy i've got a giant shield and i i literally smash myself into things to hurt them and that could totally work Uh, so i and honestly in terms of like fury warriors i feel like they should basically just be barbarians from diablo 3 slash 4 i feel like the diablo the barbarian design works exceptionally well and wow should steal as much of it as they possibly can oh yeah uh, I've thought that forever. So if I were going to add in a new class and and they wouldn't let me split up warriors and make two classes out of them, I would probably add a barbarian. I, I'd back and that horse. I would back that I'd, horse. If I did that, however, I don't know what you'd do. Like the, the barbarian and a fury warrior are pretty much the same thing. And so it feels like, like I said, I really feel like you should split the class up, have like a prot slash arms warrior and then come up with like a third spec for them that's like offensive tanking and you'd actually have some kind of interesting thing going on there and then have or even just have it just have two two specs i'd have no problem with that or you know so so ultimately i do feel like we don't really need a new class ultimately what i'm just saying is redesign warriors and you know people are like yeah great you managed to make this a warrior question it wasn't about warriors matt how did you do that cuz it's always it's about me. warriors <laughs> it's me i don't know what you were looking I- for but if I were going to like go back to say the the Warcraft RPGs and previous Warcraft games like Warcrafts two and three, I would love for them to finally do that Runecaster. I you beat me to it. <laughs> I knew he was going there, so I wasted all that time. You absolutely did, you monster. 
Uh, I've been screaming like, about this for years. He knows this. He knows how, this. How, how can I sabotage Joe most effectively? I'll waste <laughs> some time with this. La, 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 warriors. But, okay, he's, he looks like he's lulled in. Runecasters. Now I'm done. Uh, like, yeah, there's there's only been two classes that I've really, really, really wished that WoW would borrow or implement in some way. Um, one of them has always been a rune priest or rune caster. It's one of the most interesting concepts I've ever seen in an MMO. And I've talked about this a lot. I've talked about this way back when, even when we were on the site that will no longer be named. The idea of having a fluid class that doesn't necessarily have to switch a spec to accommodate the role is absolutely mind-blowing to me. So for those of you that don't know, Lord of the Rings Online had this class, and it was a Rune Priest. And if you cast damaging spells, your basically your runes shifted towards damage. And you were better at that role, and you got weaker at your healing. So you started out perfectly balanced between the two. They hit about the same, like they were at the specific level, and you could choose either way to go. It was like an off DPS and off uh, healer class. But as you did more damage or more healing, it shifted one way or another and moved you further into that role. And WoW doesn't really have a concept of support DPS or really support healer. And something like that would be an interesting play opportunity for that. Because right now it's just how many healers do we need? How many DPS do we need? Well, what if you had something that allowed you to be a little more fluid as the encounter was necessary, and I talk about like those high-level plays where like you can do some weird janky stuff to, to stop a wife, a class that just has that baked in is something I've wanted for a decade. Easily a decade. Yeah. And if you look at like just World of Warcraft here, they did a lot in in uh, Wrath of all expansions yeah. with Ulduar to show you like how a rune caster could work in WoW. Yeah. And it's all about like, you know, it's all about throwing down runes on the ground to, to create area effects that be, that buff everybody. About invoking certain runes on yourself to get you certain. It, there's a lot you could do with it. D and D has a class called the Rune Knight, which I absolutely love. Yes, because it's tied into giants and all that stuff, and it's great. But like the runes provide interesting, unique abilities, and it's like a kind of magic that does not require you to be a spellcaster. Yep. You carve the rune, you get the bonus. You want to switch to something else? You want to be like, I, I don't want to be tanky anymore. I want to be like controlling you with flaming chains. You change your rune. And that, the, the, you could literally have a one spec class. You could no. have the rune caster just has the rune caster class and exactly. they don't have any specs. But if they want to do something, they, they carve the, Thal, the Thala rune and now they have their tanks. And they want to switch that out. They change runes, and they the benefit they get from that is the ability to do that, and the penalty they pay for that is that you know you you can't switch on the fly, you know you can't just be a tank and then okay I don't want to be a tank anymore without it costing you, you know and there's a cost in built into the system and it's really interesting, and they did a lot with it in 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 Wrath and then they didn't bring the rune caster in because they used runes for Death Knights. Yep. And I, I don't mind that. I think Death Knights with runes is really cool. But I think it's time to actually have that rune-based class that they've been talking about since 2008. Yeah. And the, the other class that I've recently really kind of redoubled on, the idea that I think would fit in WoW that we don't really have, and we kind of have in half measures, is a summoner class. Because we have 
classes that can summon, but that's not their entire focus. And I, I think it's an interesting mechanic that they haven't really explored and I think could fit really well in sort of the world and universe of Warcraft, especially now that we're going into the Shadowlands and learning about anima and how anima is crafted to the will of the user and all the things that can happen with it and how it's shaped into creatures and power and, and everything else. I absolutely would love to see a class that's all about summoning the right minion or, you know, this minion's for DPS, sort of like how warlocks do things, but then have one for healing or one for defense or one for control. I would love to see something like that happen. I don't think it ever will. Uh, I think that Warcraft is probably a little too set as it is for something like that to really work mechanically. But if we're reaching for the stars, that's one of the ones I would pull down. Um, I just think it would be cool. So I think that's all we have for today. Uh, so uh, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the support of our generous contributions from our patrons at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. Your continued support means this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on the podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. Time for end podcast. Sorry, guys, but I haven't done that in a while. Uh, thank you guys for being here. Uh, this has been the Blizzard Watch Podcast. Again, if you have a question for the show, you can either hit up our Discord uh, or you can email us at podcast.blizzardwatch.com. Thanks very much for being here and putting up with our weirdness. Uh, we were here this week. You noticed, noticed it. That was it. That was it right there. And we'll be here next week. <laughs>